Well, it's the first Sunday of the new year, and it's resolution season again. And just like Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, there is nothing new under the sun. And so everybody's resolutions are pretty much the same as they always are around the first of the year. We want to improve our physical, financial, mental, and relational health. Everybody's resolutions come down to those sorts of things. And the first Sunday of the the new year, preachers almost always add one to that list, which is I want to talk about our spiritual health. And you know what? That's exactly what I'm going to do today. I am so cliche, I'm leaning right into that. So we're going to talk about making good spiritual resolutions because this is a part of the Christian life I think in this country in our culture this is a pretty standard way that we do things around the first of the year so many of us want to talk about reading and praying every single day and make that a a richer more enjoyable more fulfilling part of our daily discipleship we want to talk about getting more involved in a church family just going to church more often Uh, we want to talk about getting more connected with God and many of us have different definitions of what that might mean but everybody kind of has a sense of it and we sense the importance of that around this time of the year now, far from, again, far from saying that's too cliche and we're not going to mess with it, I'm going to lean all in on that idea. And what I want to do this morning is give you some guidance on making resolutions that are worthwhile. And so what I want to do is I want to give you a checklist, not of things that you can resolve, but of things that you can take this checklist and lay it beside the specific goals that you're making for yourself and for others around you. And I want you to compare and just make sure that the things that are on your list that you're resolved to add to your spiritual walk this year are worthwhile and that they follow some good guidance given from the Word of God. This is a checklist, again, that we can lay down beside our list of resolutions to make sure that what we're doing helps us to be more fully God's children. So five things, five types of resolutions that Jesus himself said his disciples ought to make, not just at the beginning of the year, but any time that there's a time to mark some improvement in your Christian walk. And so I want to give you these five things, ways that we can increase, and you make the specific applications from there. So here we go. I'm going to do them very quickly this morning, and then I'm going to wrap it up. Just a quick and easy time through some of these ideas this morning. The first one is, I think all of us should resolve to do something something that fosters a deeper desire for the things of God. Now, for evidence for this, I want to turn to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6 and show you where Jesus was talking about this same principle. From our Pew Bibles, this is page 759, if you want to follow along there. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And so I want to encourage you, do something this year that will help you to develop a deeper desire, a hunger and a thirst for the righteousness of God. Now, how does one do that, I wonder? How do you develop a deeper hunger? I've always heard that preachers should not tell people how to feel because it's very difficult and it's, it just kind of doesn't work. I can't really tell you how to feel. I can tell you what to think and your feelings can follow that, but it doesn't really work the other way. And so how does one develop in themselves a feeling of a desire that's like a hunger and a thirst for the righteousness of God? Does that feeling increase? Does the desire increase by mindlessly watching the blur of daily life go by on an endless circuit? Does it increase in just letting that happen? Does that desire increase from a continual flood of TikTok and Facebook and YouTube and sports and news and movies? Does that desire increase 
Does it come into a heart that is obsessed with wealth or with happiness or with fitness or youth or relationships or thrills or entertainment or popularity or anything that we long for more than we long for God Himself? Does that heart increase its desire for the things of God? Or does the desire for God's things increase when we deliberately carve out space in our schedules, in our budgets, in our hearts where we can unhurriedly taste and see that the Lord is good? Because when we are not in a hurry and we take a deep look into the things of God, Think of it like staring into the sun, right? That's going to affect you in a pretty significant way, right? But the difference is staring into the sun is going to blind you. You stare directly into the light of God, though, and you will want to see that light more and more and more and more. You will begin to hunger and thirst for the things of God. And so instead of making you turn away your eyes, it will foster a deeper desire for God's goodness. So like the song says that we sing every now and then in this church, turn your eyes upon Jesus... Look full in His wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and His grace. That's what I'm hoping for for you in this new year. That there's something in your life when, that helps you to clear the space, to unclutter so that you can look full in His wonderful face and can grow in your desire for the things of God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And so I encourage all of us to double-check our resolutions for 2024. Do we have anything planned for this year that will develop a deeper desire for spiritual things? Now, the second one goes right along with that, and that is to resolve something that fosters a more spiritual focus in our lives. This time I'm in Matthew chapter 6. Just one page over, this is page 762 in our Pew Bibles, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, where Jesus says these extremely familiar words, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then know that he will give you all the other things that you truly need. I think this is what most of us feel as the spiritual instinct around the first part of the year. I think this is something that, that goes along with the territory of a new year and resolutions and a spiritual improvement in our lives. But we wonder how to actually put it to work. We think about this. How do I, how do I have a more spiritual focus to truly seek first the things of God? Can I tell you a couple of things that I think are just a real part of that or an important part of that? Number one, it comes down to what you see there on the screen. It comes down to seeing that the spiritual world is actually the real world. I know sometimes our language betrays that we, we have that flopped, right? We talk about how a Bible lesson just, it really addresses all these big esoteric kind of concepts, these huge ideas that are way lofty and up in the air, but we need to talk about the real world. No, brothers and sisters, we have that upside down. We sometimes talk about things that are too petty to be real because they're on the surface of this earth. We need to understand that what we do when we are in Christ is the real world. That concept, those ideas that are so big and transcendent and longer in time than any of our lifespans, those are the real things in this world. And when we can start to filter the world through that, when we can start to filter our lives through that realization, then we'll start to see that people are souls in need of a Savior. And we will see them that way. We'll start to see that our day jobs are actually serving the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we will see them and interact with our day jobs in that way. We'll start to see that our mental well-being 
is more connected to an ongoing dialogue with God than it is to any therapeutic discipline or self-talk method or personality type. We're going to start to see that our interactions in our church assemblies are so much more than just a good, healthy, psychological, weekly rhythm. We're going to start to see that our Christian family relationships are actually supposed to be even more significant to us than our blood relative relationships. I know that breaks paradigms, but it's in the Bible. We're going to start to see that our lives are not divided things. They're not split into a religious life, work life, home life, and self life, but that everything is meant to be lived in a unified totality that all serves God. When we start to see things through a more spiritual lens, we will see them as God sees them. And Moses told the Israelites a long, long time ago that that is the far better way to see the world. In Deuteronomy 30, he told them, choose life by serving God so that you and your offspring may live loving the Lord your God, obeying His voice, and holding fast to Him, for He is your life and length of days. What do you have on your list of resolutions this year? What do I have on my list of resolutions this year to help us increase our spiritual focus? To make sure that we can see the world in a better way, more like God sees it. The third one is to make sure we have something on the list that fosters a stronger conviction in our lives. I'm still in the same area of the Bible. This is Pew Bible page number 760. This is Matthew 5 verse 11. Matthew 5 verse 11, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account says Jesus of Nazareth. Why is it that people get persecuted as Christians? Is it because Christians are in rebellion to governments? No, in fact, we are told to be obedient and respectful and honorable toward our governments. We're usually, we Christians as a group, are usually the most obedient and upstanding citizens. Is it because of the extreme condescension that Christians have toward those around them? No. If we're doing it right, true Christians are often the most respectful people around, even toward those whom they know to be lost and living in error. So why are they persecuted? Is it because Christians are sneaky business people who sap the wealth out of their local economies and they extort it from others? No. No, true Christians are the ones who are infusing good and charity and and kindness into their local economies. So why is it that Christians are persecuted? It is simply because we believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And because we are convicted on that truth. That's what got our brothers and sisters persecuted in the book of Acts, and it's what happens all in all generations to get people persecuted. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. It's just because you believe the truth about who Jesus is, no matter how out of sync it seems to make us with the world and the culture around us. So do we have a conviction that deep that we hold fast to our faith in God, that in the little things like talking to our kids about the truth of who Jesus is and what we're supposed to do in living for Him, we talk openly and convictedly in those situations. And then ramping it up a little bit more, 
Do we do that with our spouses? Even when we're not sure it's going to go well, do we talk openly and convictedly about the way that we're supposed to live for Christ because of who He is? And then ramp it up from there. How do we talk to our friends and our neighbors? And then ramp it up from there. How do we talk to those whom we know already hate us for that truth? Are we convicted in all of those situations and a gazillion more besides? And do we have anything that's resolved for this year that will help us to grow in that conviction so that we can do it better by the end of this year than we're doing it now? Number four. Number four. When you look at your list of resolutions for this year, I hope that you have something on the list that resolves to have a better serve, that fosters a better serve toward the people around you, that helps you find ways that you can be quick to help someone else with your life, your job, your words, and your time. For this one, I'm going to Matthew chapter 5 again, a few verses down from the last one we just looked at. I'm in verse 13 now. In verse 13, he says, you are the salt of the earth. The next verse, he starts and he says, you are the light of the world. And he says through both of those, the point is that you would be an example, that you would touch the lives of the people around you. Light illuminates darkness. Do that in the people's lives around you. Salt is a preservative. It helps to to retain things, to transform them, to make them last longer. Do that in the influence that you have for people around you. You know, these two metaphors, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world, these two metaphors have been used for centuries to remind God's people that we are, number one, supposed to be an influence around us on the people around us, okay? And number two, I think what they remind us is that the best way to do that is by serving the people around you. One of the things that I really hope we think about deeply this year is how can I find people around me that number one, I can influence to serve God in a better way. And number two, that even if they don't need that from me, I can just find ways to serve them. Not for any sort of secondhand benefit that I get from it, but just for the sake of giving to them. Let me make a, couple, let me make a specific application on this one, by the way which is whenever there's anything to be signed up for here among us as a church family, I just encourage you, do your best to be quick to sign up. Now, I know some of us are very willing to help, and yet we kind of sit back and we go, well, I want to give others the opportunity to do that first. Let me just, let me as kindly and straightforwardly as I can encourage you, don't. If you can help and you want to help, don't wait to help. Jump in and do something to serve somebody in this church family, whether that's serving our kids by teaching in the Bible classes, or that's serving the widows by going and visiting, whether that's serving somebody who's just not able to drive by making sure that they can get to an appointment they need to get to, something like that. There are a bazillion different ways in a group of people this large, there are a bazillion different ways that we can find ways to help somebody around us. Look for them and lean into that. Engage that as soon as you can, not putting it off and not waiting for a better one. And then, let me just tell you a piece of advice that, I, I, that hit me like a ton of bricks. It was so convicting for me on this, on this one. Um, especially the one I mentioned just a minute ago. I want to encourage you specifically today, develop a better serve in this new year by making time to do what James talked about, to visit the orphans and the widows. I heard a piece of advice that convicted me to my core the other day. There's a preacher that I really like, and I ran across a short clip of a video of him in an interview. 
And he said, every time you, the minister, sit down and write a blog or produce some kind of content that no one has asked you to because you think that will gain you notoriety or fame or respect or, or something like that, that's one elderly lady in the congregation who goes unvisited. And I cried over that one, y'all. I'm not going to lie. I cried over that one. And I am so sorry to some of you. I truly am. Because that was me. There's a whole reason that I have done that sometimes. It's just because I thought I'm going to put something out there that will really make people respect me. And I could have been there for you. And I'm so sorry that I wasn't. That changes this year. I'm still going to write. I'm still going to produce. But because I think my teaching is part of how I love my church family. But um, I am so sorry that I have not served you as I should have. And it is top priority on my resolutions list this year to change that and to be there for you as I think Jesus would be there for you. So, for all of us, let's just open our eyes. And we won't have to look very far to find ways that we can develop a better serve toward others around us. And so let's just double-check our resolutions. Do we have anything planned for this year that will help foster that? And then the fifth one, the last one for today, It's something, I hope that you have resolved something that solidifies your belief in Jesus and your commitment to Him in a way that that commitment will last your whole life long. This time I'm in Matthew chapter 7. I'm in the last couple of verses of the chapter, page 762. Matthew 7, this is verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. Last year I read a thought to you that echoes frequently in my mind as an encouragement, I'd like to share it with you again. It says this, no decision is ever entirely singular. Each decision reverberates. Each generates a bit of momentum in a certain direction. Each one etches a shallow groove that makes it easier to travel the same path the next time around. Every enduring habit began with a momentary choice. Listen, if you want to have a life that is the house that did not fall, then endure the first little storm so that you'll be ready to endure the next one that's bigger and the next one that's bigger and the next one that's bigger. Etch the little groove that's going the right direction, simple and tiny as it seems, inconsequential as the decision may feel at the time. Etch that groove in the right direction so that we are actively doing something now to cut the groove that we want to endure all the way to the end of our days. So that when we stand at the gates of heaven and the question is asked, how did you do? You won't say, well, I did good enough to get in. But you can say, by the mercy of God and the power of the Spirit through me, I have kept the faith. I have finished the race. And I believe that the Lord has a crown of righteousness laid up for me and all who have loved His appearing. 
And so I encourage all of us, just just double-check our resolutions for this year. Do we have anything planned that's going to help us to cut the small grooves that will help us to have a longer love for God? Now, maybe in all of those you caught it, maybe you didn't, but if what, either way, all of these points have come from Jesus' mountain message. Every single thing that we talked about, all those points are based in passages from the Sermon on the Mount this morning, from really what is the heartbeat of what Jesus said it's like to be a disciple of, of God, to be a child of God. And so I encourage you, if you're not sure what to do to be a better Christian in this new year, take these five guidelines from today's message and then go read the Sermon on the Mount and then make your decision about how you're going to be more faithful in 2024 than you've ever been before this.